you know, as we get uh, closer and closer to the end of the year, I guess we're not quite as close as I thought, because I thought this coming Sunday was the last Sunday of the month, but <laughs> as we get closer and closer to the end of the year, you're going to start seeing more and more uh, books and, and blog posts and uh, magazine articles on the topic of motivation. You know, they really come at us from, from almost every different angle, uh, from advice on how to stay motivated and exercise more, uh, or how to motivate yourself to, to eat better, or to spend less time surfing on the net, and and there, there are speakers and authors who make whole careers uh, out, out of telling us that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, really, and trying to get to the bottom, really, of just what it is that moves people uh, to a certain action or to a certain behavior. And, and to answer the big question of why it is that we do whatever it is that we do. Uh, and when it comes to understanding those whys, you know, there are almost as many theories uh, about it as there are human motives. Back in 1923, when mountain climber George Mallory uh, was attempting to climb Mount Everest, he was asked by someone why he wanted to do that, uh, to which he famously replied, because it's there. Uh, incidentally, though, he died on that mountain and his body wasn't located for 75 years, so that might not be a great example of motivation. Uh, when, when someone asked bank robber Willie Sutton why he robbed banks, he said, I robbed banks because that's where the money is. Uh, when baseball player, uh, baseball Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle was asked about his career, he said, I have to play ball. It's the only thing I know. And in 1923, a man by the name of Albert Ketchum, who was a student at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, made a beautiful attempt at answering those uh, big whys that he encountered in life by writing the words and the music for a very simple but very profound little hymn that I know all of you know called, Why Do I Sing About Jesus? Right? Why do I sing about Jesus? Why is he precious to me? He is my Lord and my Savior. Dying, he set me free. Uh, only a glimpse of his goodness that was sufficient for me. Only one look at the Savior, and then was my spirit set free. And, and that, that same... Uh, why that inspired Ketchum to write that little song has been motivating the people of God to sing right from the beginning. From Miriam at the crossing of the Red Sea to the prophetess Deborah in her victory march uh, to Hannah at the birth of her son Samuel and right on down to the Blessed Virgin at the news that she would be the mother of the Messiah. You see, brothers and sisters, God's people sing. And why is that? It's because of Jesus. And the motivation that keeps us going is what he accomplished on the cross. And I want to show that to you today, this week in Psalm 72, and to let you see how its lyrics overlap and inspire this third Sunday of Advent that we find ourselves in. So if you're following along in the scriptures, we're going to be looking at Psalm 72, beginning in verse 1, and the psalmist writes, Give the king your justice, O God and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his day may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. 
May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarsish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls. And the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, and all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And the last verse says, this prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And we read through that, did you... Did you hear how clearly that psalm points to the life of our Lord? Yeah, no, I did. And so now I want you to keep, keep that thought in one part of your mind and keep your finger in that page in the psalms. Uh, and turn with me now to Mary's song as it's found in the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to see how they echo each other. Uh, you'll probably remember that text in Luke is sometimes referred to as the Magnificat. Uh, it's the name which comes from the first word of the Latin version of the text, and it really just means to magnify. But I want you to see uh, the similarities between David's prophetic lyrics that we just read uh, as he sang about the glorious Messiah that God had promised to send his people. Uh, and then in Mary's song, how she magnifies God's gift of salvation in Christ, uh, a salvation she was privileged to actually receive in person and give birth to. So we're going to pick up in Luke uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 47. And Luke writes, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he does great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his seed forever. That's a beautiful text, isn't it? And I hope you were able to catch the similarities between those two sections of sacred scripture between Psalm 72 and Luke 1 to catch the expression of, of joy over the great reversals of God's deliverance uh, and that with God nothing is impossible. Did you notice the parallels between the two? Because you see in, in Psalm 72 we have David, uh, this guy who was the youngest and, and least impressive of all of Jesse's sons, uh, just this little shepherd boy from whom no one expected anything much at all, much less the greatness to which God raised him. And yet he's still able to speak of waiting patiently on God's day of deliverance 
and of his future salvation. And that very same theme rings from Mary's song of praise to God. Now, when you think about it, of course, the, the idea of a delivery for her was a little more tangible than it probably was for David. Uh, and, but God's salvation for her uh, were much more immediate than David would have realized. But from both of them, from both Mary and David, we hear their amazement at what God has done as he enters the world by overturning everything we've come to expect in this life through making uh, those that were up down and those that were down up and through giving hope to those who by all rights should be completely hopeless but who against all hope are led into lasting joy the same kind of joy that we read about in our advent readings but you don't know, understand all of that we really have to to ask ourselves what prompted mary to sing those lines what was her motivation to, to break into song and to leave us this great poetic and, and prophetic imagery? And for that, we've got to back up about 20 verses or so earlier in the text where we find the appearance of Gabriel in Luke chapter 1. And we're told it was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. You guys remember the story, right? The angel Gabriel appears to Mary. He announces that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And although Mary is confused by that idea, at first she submits to the Lord. And an amazing thing happens. In verse 35 there in Luke 1, we're told the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the baby to be born will be holy. And he'll be called the Son of God. And you know, after this uh, incredible announcement and this miraculous conception, Mary is so filled with joy that she just has to share the news. And so she goes off to visit her relative Elizabeth, uh, who just happens to be expecting a miraculous child of her own. And when the two women meet, they're both so overcome with joy in everything that God uh, has done and everything that's taken place in both of their lives that they just break into a song of worship and praise and when mary says that her spirit has rejoiced in god she's saying that she has understood who god is she knows what he's done and what he said in his word and she believes in the truth that he's revealed and you know brothers and sisters that's the beginning point of all true and joyful worship of god it's an understanding of the realities about him because true worship, uh, as we talked about this in Sunday school, doesn't depend on the flutter of emotions, but it depends on spiritually understanding the scriptures. And Mary is showing that today in the way she worshiped because remember, her whole life was thoroughly soaked in scripture. And we know that from the words that Mary speaks because in this song of hers, uh, as we've said, it's so similar to the song she would have heard uh, sung from childhood, attending worship with her parents. So don't forget, this, this book of Psalms was Israel's hymnal. And the Psalms are scripted to be sung and to be recited and to be repeated over and over, just like the songs that we like to sing in worship. And, you know, they had just as big an impact on the people in God's day uh, and in Mary's day as those classic hymns that we like to sing have on us. In fact, one commentator said to the Jews, uh, the Psalms saturate the memory and the hope and the life of Israel, a life given by God and lived back to him in worship. And so Mary would have known Psalm 72 that we read, and 
She would have heard it sung in the temple and in the local synagogue. And now in the rest of her song, we see those truths of Scripture that she had learned come out as she transitions now in her song from praising God to being joyful for what God is doing for her personally. And so in verse 48 there in Luke, she sings, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. You know, until just really fairly recently, maybe the last five, six years or so, I had a fair amount of respect for, uh, for Catholic folks, and that is until the light that's been shed on their epidemic of abuse and uh, Rome's almost total lack of response to it and their increasing moves to water down the, the exclusivity and the truths of the gospel. But, you know, among their errors, I think some have mixed up these two verses because we just read that Mary says she will be blessed and that God is holy. But, you know, some of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic faith have mixed this up and they call Mary her holy, as in praying through the rosary, saying, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Now, she definitely is the mother of Jesus. She definitely is blessed. She definitely is worthy of respect as an example of a willing servant of God. But, brothers and sisters, it's God and God alone who is holy. Uh, she was a regular person just like the rest of us and she doesn't have to be perfect so that Jesus could be born without sin Jesus was born without sin because he didn't have an earthly father but rather God who alone is holy as his father uh, and Mary actually reveals that she knows that she says that in this verse uh, because she refers to her human condition when she says she understood that she was in need of a savior just like everyone else and she recognizes that she's a servant she tells us she has a servant's heart. She refers to herself as the maidservant of God, and she knows that she can't automatically expect and deserve anything from God, but she just wants to serve and to please Him. Because in spite of all of her shortcomings in God's sovereignty, He has seen fit to bless her. And she knows it's only because of what God has done that she recognizes from now on all generations will call her blessed. And you know, when she says it, it's not a statement of pride, but it's a remembrance of what the angel Gabriel had already told her when he appeared. Remember, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And, and sometimes we Protestants are guilty of downplaying that too much. Uh, remember, even the great reformer Martin Luther, who blasted the Roman church for their cultish worship of the Virgin, still thought that we Protestants should refer to Mary as Our Lady because of how God had worked through her. So I think there's, there's a balance to be had in the middle. Uh, and she has been blessed. Mary is the most favored woman who ever lived on the face of the earth. But that shouldn't lead us to idolize her, which is something I'm confident she would have not have wanted uh, and never sought. But rather, she wanted to show us that we're all blessed if we accept the gift of Jesus. Because, you know, I've told you guys before, and I usually always make sure I mention this on the third Sunday of Advent, there is a way that you and I can actually be uh, more blessed than the virgin was. So you remember uh, in Jesus' teaching later in life, he's, he's uh, having a story of a teaching one day, and a woman in the crowd shouts out to him and says, blessed is the womb that bore you. And do you guys remember what Jesus said back? Anybody? Listen to how he responded. He said in Luke eleven twenty eight. He said to the woman, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it, right? 
This woman called out from the crowd, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus answered back, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to downplay the significance of Mary's blessing, but he's putting that blessedness in perspective. Because as we've already seen, Mary was blessed because of her knowledge and her obedience to the word of God. Uh, And Jesus reveals here that if you and I want to have true joy and want to be really blessed just as much, if not more than Mary, all we have to do is do the same thing that she did and hear the word of God and obey it. That's what it all comes back to. That the, the word of God must be heard and joyfully obeyed. That's where the true worship of God springs from. That's where true joy from God comes from, whether you're David in the Old Testament, in the kingdom of Israel, Mary in the first century, or you and me here today. If you want to worship God, you have to get into the word. You've got to get this book in your head and in your heart. And Mary's song spells that out as she understands not just what God has done for her, but the joy she had for what God is doing for the whole world. And she picks up in in, uh, verse 50, saying, He has shown mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Because see, Mary sings that God responds in two different ways to two different kinds of people. There are those who fear God and obey God and those who are proud and who are arrogant. The ones who fear God and obey and receive His mercy and they get His provision for their needs and so they're exalted. But Mary's song also shows us that the opposite happens for those who trust only in themselves, for those that she calls arrogant and proud because they're cast down. Uh, And Mary says the proud trust in themselves and in their own thoughts, but God scatters their plans and they don't work out. As Mary saw the Lord turning everything upside down, uh, the weak dethrone the mighty, the humble scatter the proud, the nobodies are exalted, the hungry are filled. But more important than all of that is when she sees that the Word of God combined with the ministry of the Holy Spirit allows you and I to recognize what Jesus has done for us in lifting us all up out of the pit of sin and slavery. Because even though we deserve divine judgment, God doesn't give us what we deserve. But he gave us the word of Jesus Christ instead. And it's for everyone who believes on him alone and receives the joy of redemption and eternal life. That's why, that's what Mary's talking about here when she says she knows this good news is not just for her generation. And it's what David longed for as he waited for God's salvation back in Psalm 72 that this good news of Jesus would be passed down from generation to generation throughout the whole world and right into this church today. The only trouble is there are a lot of people uh, nowadays who would be more willing to receive the good things that God has to offer, but they don't want Him to take charge of their lives. Uh, They don't want Jesus to be in charge of what they do or the choices that they make or the loyalties that they choose that undermine the church. But Mary would have us know If you try to receive Christ without letting him reign in your life uh, and letting him be your defining motivation, that you're still missing the mark. You're not going to experience the joy that God has for us, the ultimate gift of joy that comes in the simplest and humblest of wrappings. In Jesus Christ, the gift of God for the people of God, which is a truth that we see expressed in Mary's final stanza of her song, a truth not just for herself, but for all the people of God. As she closes out by singing, He's helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For He made this promise to our ancestors and to Abraham and His seed forever.
Because, you know, although the people of Israel have almost always lived in a state of rebellion against God, God reminds them here through Mary that He's never going to forsake them, that He's always going to remember His promises, that He's always going to remember to be faithful, especially to the promise of the Messiah. And Mary once again shows us her knowledge of that by quoting one of the great promises of God to Abraham from the Old Testament book of Genesis. When he promised Abraham, saying, And through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You see, Mary knows that God always fulfills all of his promises. And Mary shows that she understands that the baby in her womb is God fulfilling his most important promise to Israel. And so she's singing about Jesus. She's singing about the Messiah. That's what motivated the music that burst from her lips. And it's based on what she knew about Scripture that said God would do for her people in sending the Messiah through the Jewish race, who would fulfill the promise of Scripture to all of humanity that would be achieved in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he is in himself the word of God in human flesh for us this Christmas, uh, bringing the joy of salvation not just to the world out there, but to you and me personally. And, you know, this is where Christmas really becomes intensely personal for all of us, because, you know, it's, uh, it's not enough to say abstractly that you believe Jesus was born there are millions of people that believe that and are still lost in their sins. It's not enough to say that Christ came for someone else. No, you and I can only ever be saved until the Holy Spirit of God shows us that Jesus came for me and that he came for you personally, that he died for me and for you personally and rose again from the dead. Do you believe that today? I don't want to ask you to be thinking of that as we come in just a minute here to our, our closing hymn him about the birth of our Lord in a little town of Bethlehem, to be thinking about and, and asking yourself, and I'm going to be asking myself too, uh, why do you sing about Jesus? And I'm going to be asking, why, why is he precious to me? Is he your Lord and your Savior? Did, it, did his dying set you free? And, and I pray you'll catch a glimpse of his goodness, and thank God it was sufficient for me. And you'll get one, just one precious look at the Savior, and that your spirit will be set free. Amen? Will you pray with me?